Um, so our premise, our premise is this. Wonder, wonder. It's not just knowing that God is loving or that he is powerful or that he is gracious. It's not just knowing that. It's not just having that idea or belief in our mind that we can kind of acknowledge. It's knowing that those things are beyond our ability to comprehend. Wonder is knowing that God is loving beyond our ability to like process how loving he is or gracious or powerful. I love all the, almost all the trappings of Christmas. I love almost all of it. Christmas decorations, so cool. Somebody a couple days ago said, man, Christmas really snuck up on me. How? How did it sneak up on you? They have been decorating since the 4th of July. I love Christmas songs. Man, Christmas songs are the best. The church songs, the, the, the secular songs, except for simply having a wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney and the Wings. You could just do that one, like, away from me. I'm not a fan. But everything else is wonderful. Christmas programs, if you're a parent, you've probably been to a number of Christmas programs, Christmas plays, Christmas concerts, and it's all great. We all decided to do it all at once. Christmas food I mean, I am some percentage right now of Christmas cookie because somebody gave me a whole 10 and I've just, I didn't bring it home to my family. It's in my office. (laughs) Christmas gifts. I mean, we don't need anything. I don't need a thing, but I still want something. I still want it. I don't need anything. And of course, you know, we can't forget baby Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. Wise men still seek him. All the cliches say Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays, if you're a real Christian, right? All that. You got to remember baby Jesus. And I love babies. Babies are great. In fact, we have a bunch of new babies. In fact, today is Everett Cole Walton's very first Sunday in church ever, ever. We, we might have woke him up, but he's back there. Baron Bauer is back there, and he was wearing little booties. He can't even walk, but he's wearing little, like, like hiking boots. And it's so cute. Babies are so cute. It's not like there's a problem with babies. But baby Jesus, yeah, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about baby Jesus and the manger. It's about that. But the problem is, the problem is, is the wonder of Christmas is that this baby, this little tiny baby, that this little tiny baby wearing a Christmas sweater and booties, this little baby is all mighty God. That's the wonder of Christmas. It's not just that there's a baby in a manger. It's that the fact that that baby is God, that baby spoke the world into existence. That's the wonder. And you're, it's the head scratcher is like, you're looking at this baby and you're like, are you sure? Like this baby can't even keep its own head up. Is this, this baby is God. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. But, but even beyond that, the wonder is that God is up to something through that baby. Christmas is, Christmas is, my, uh, my sister is a first responder, and that means that, you know, that you call 911 and people like her rush to the scene. And I would imagine that many times, it's very gratifying, many times, you know, you get to play this pivotal role, you save someone's life, you make a huge difference, I mean, they have a future because of something you did, or how quickly you responded, or how well you implemented your knowledge, that your training. But there's also times where you're coming up on these situations where people have just done these very, very dumb things. And you still have to save them from their own stupidity. 
I was asking her, hey, tell me a couple of examples of people just doing ridiculous things that you still had to help them. And she said, well, you know, immediately a bunch came to my mind. One lady um, ate moldy jello, moldy jello. And so they had to, you know, induce whatever, you know, whatever you have to do because it was making her sick. And they said, did you, uh, did you know the jello was moldy when you ate it? I did. I did know the jello was moldy. Why did you eat it? I wanted jello. You know, and at, at some point you're just like, I think you're going to have to suffer the consequences of your own mistakes here. Uh, I told you a while back, she, she had sent the family group text this picture of this car that was overturned and totaled and just demolished. And she said, you'll never guess what happened. This lady driving this car saw a spider and just lost it, lost control and totaled her car. And she was okay. She was fine. Silver lining of a situation like that is you're not really concerned about the spider once you total your car. It's kind of taken on perspective. But uh, the, the story I read, I read one in the, in the newspaper about this state trooper. There was a stranded motorist on the side of the road. The state trooper had pulled over onto the right-hand side of the road, uh, turned their lights on, was helping this stranded motorist. And, of course, traffic backs up. Everybody wonders what's going on, so it gets slower unnecessarily. And you're also supposed to vacate that lane to make sure that they have plenty of room to operate. Well, somebody, you know, texting or eating or doing whatever, decided that they were in too much of a hurry, and they ended up passing on the shoulder right into the trooper's car. And he was fine. He didn't have any problems. His car was mangled. Uh, but the driver was trapped, and the car had started on fire. And, of course, there's this dramatic video that you can watch. Um, and, and the trooper had to get out of his own mangled, beat-up car, had to run toward the fire, this car that could potentially explode, had to try to rip open this door that wouldn't open and drag this unconscious driver who had just caused their own problem to safety. And, and it just seems like there's times where, where we... we we get ourselves in our own mess, and, and, and we are grateful that there are people who are not standing at a distance saying, you know, you made this mess, you can get yourself out of it. I mean, we're grateful for people who are willing to come and rescue us and come and save us. When we think of Christmas, we often think of cookies and chestnuts and Christmas fires and little baby sweaters, but the reality is, this is the truth, the reality is, is that Christmas is closer to a dramatic rescue mission than it is to any of that stuff. That stuff is fun, and we like it, and it makes it feel like the season is here. But Christmas is more like this dramatic rescue mission. It's a rescue mission. Um, if you look early in the Nativity story, there's this interesting interaction. Of course, of course you know Mary, uh, mother of Jesus, gets this surprise announcement uh, can you imagine getting your own uh, announcement of a baby on the way that you're having the baby? You know, you get that in the mail, like, guess what? You're having a baby. Wow, that's surprising. She gets this announcement. The angel talks to her and says, don't fear. You're having a baby. And in the course of this conversation, the angel drops what feels just a little bit like gossip, just kind of in the course of making this announcement. Um, in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, doesn't tell us how they're related. Your relative is going to have a child in her old age. And Elizabeth has to be like, did you have to include that in the Bible? Even, you know, you got this cousin, you got this aunt, this whatever, and she's old, and she's still having a baby. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, and he's, the, the angel is giving Mary a little bit of comfort because she's, she's alone, she's isolated, she doesn't know what's going on, but there is one other person in the world who's having somewhat of a similar experience. Not exactly the same, but similar. 
And so she immediately goes to Mary, uh, excuse me, Mary immediately goes to Elizabeth and has this conversation. She needs a little encouragement. She ends up staying for three months, the Bible says. You imagine, you have some relatives coming today. Can you imagine if they were like, we're here, three months, that's it. We're we're settling in. Some of you are like, I would move. (laughs) I would leave this state. But she stays for three months, and at the end of this time, she's gotten whatever encouragement, whatever perspective she needs, and she composes a piece of poetry that's included in your Bibles. And this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. She composes this, and we sang this earlier. Somebody put it to music, and we sang it. It sounded beautiful. But it says this, My soul glorifies, or we sang, magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Savior, of course, means rescuer. Jesus is a first responder, and we're in trouble. She ends the poem with this line in verse 54 and through 56. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised with our ancestors. He has helped. It's such an interesting word. The word means he has reached down and pulled to safety. Jesus is our first responder. Jesus is on a rescue mission. The nativity is just phase one of this huge plan to rescue humanity from their own mess. So you see when Mary understands her situation, she zooms way out and she looks beyond her circumstances. And she says, wow, I see something much bigger. I see God at work in humanity and I get to play a part. She zooms way out. And so that's what I want us to do just for a second, to zoom way out past the ugly Christmas sweaters, past the songs. We'll make a quick stop by the cookies, way past the gifts and everything, and understand what God is doing in the world, like to to see this broader picture, because you know it and I know it. I mean, Christmas, it's so busy. Everybody said, you know, we got to have a party. We got to have, you got to get gifts for every second cousin, and what we just got to do all this stuff. And so we put all this pressure on ourselves, and we've forgotten the, the role that the nativity plays in this big picture of the rescue mission that God is on in the world. So we need to zoom way out. We need to look back. I mean, some of you are going to be like, oh, you went too far. But we got to go back to Genesis. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2. We've got to do it. And this is why. Because in Genesis chapter 2, it, it, there's God and the Spirit hovering over the waters. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. God looked around and said, hmm, there's some dirt. Let's make some dudes out of that. The dust of the ground. And, and I, you know, I had to look this up because I don't remember fifth grade biology. I don't even know if we did biology in fifth grade. Um, but we're made up of six elements. 99% of six elements were made up of oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, calcium, nitrogen, and phosphorus. And Christmas cookie. I mean, we got that in there too. And, but dust. We're dust. That's all. That's all. That's all we are. We're dust. Just particles of dust. God formed them. Put them together. But we're more than the sum of our parts. And God breathed life into this pile of dust. And he gave us these these abilities to do amazing things. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And now we have this ability to create and invent and to, to make art and music and to find love and make families and build cities and to find meaning and purpose. And God says, okay, I've created you. I've given you life and inspiration and creativity. Here's what I'm also going to give you. 
I'm going to give you a choice. You can follow me. I created you. I know how you work. I know how things tick. I know how all the gears grind. You can follow me and life will be good. Won't be easy, but it'll be good. Or you can do your own thing and you can immediately have a car accident. You can just do your own thing. And God sat us down and said, there's your choice. Follow me. Life will be okay. Won't always be easy, but it'll be good. You can do your own thing. You can ruin it, wreck it. You know what we did immediately? We're like, thanks, God. I'm going to go ahead and drive on the shoulder right into the back of the state trooper. Thanks, God. I'm going to go ahead and eat the moldy jello. Thanks, God. I'm going to go ahead immediately, just immediately, we did our own thing and we got ourselves into trouble. And God could have and had every right to stand back and say, oh, all right, you guys got yourself into this mess. You can get yourselves out of it. But he didn't. He didn't. He immediately launched a rescue mission. And it winds its way through the history of the Bible and you see it, you know, through, you see it through Noah, and you see it through Abraham, and you see it through the nation of Israel, and you see it through King David. And then you eventually see it in Luke chapter 1, where this angel announces the birth of a rescuer. The first responder is here. The nativity is just one phase of the rescue mission. Luke chapter 4, verse 18 Jesus described his mission this way. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Christmas is a rescue mission. That's what it's about. And if we've lost that, we've lost what it is. Christmas is a rescue mission. You may remember back in school when you had a, a good teacher and they were trying to teach you some scientific concept. You remember a couple weeks ago we talked about stars and the septillions of stars and just how our brains aren't built to understand numbers and capacities that big. And so you had a science teacher or a teacher who kind of broke it down and they said, okay, you know, imagine every molecule in your body is the size of a silver dollar. It would fill the state of Texas, you know, three feet deep. You remember that from school? You remember teachers trying to help you conceptualize something huge. When I say God is on a rescue mission, it's too huge. It's just too big. It's too, we, it, we can't, we need someone to break it down and help us wrap our minds around what God is doing so we can understand it individually. And I know it's too huge because I know that some of us are sitting here saying, yeah, God's grace, that's wonderful, that's all, that's, it's, it's good. But it doesn't, it doesn't create wonder because it's so big. What God is up to is so big and what we've done, what we've messed up is so bad. We just haven't, we haven't been able to conceptualize what it looks like. For God to give his grace to us. Remember, wonder is not, not just knowing that God is loving, powerful, gracious, but that he is those things beyond our ability to comprehend. So I want to give us an analogy. I want to tell you a story. And it's a story that many of you have already heard and some of you are, are very familiar with. Um, and I think most everybody read about it when it happened. We all had some idea this was, this was going on. In back, uh, I guess I don't remember exactly when this was, maybe late last summer, uh, an off-duty police officer um, entered the wrong apartment. She lived on the fourth floor, and she entered the apartment on the third floor. And the homeowner was in their own apartment, minding their own business, watching TV, eating ice cream, whatever. And she felt threatened and shot and killed him. And that story entered into this larger narrative. It couldn't just be its own thing because of the culture and society we live in. Uh, a, a white police officer had killed yet another unarmed, innocent black man. 
And so it entered this, it just took on this bigger picture. And that's why it became newsworthy around the world because, uh, because of how it fit in the larger context of our society and our culture as a whole. It went to trial and of course, Every, there's just so much writing on this because so many people had felt betrayed by the judicial system. They'd felt like these police officers had gotten away with things that they should not have gotten away with and, and, that, and that black men had been accused of things that they shouldn't have been accused of. And so just the, the weight of the trial took on this bigger meaning. And so as they went through trial, the police officer was actually convicted of murder and sentenced to 10 years, 10 years in prison. Now, before sentencing... Victims' families are allowed to offer a victim impact statement. They're allowed to state for the court and for the judge how this situation has impacted them, what it's made them think. And, and this is something that I know a lot of you have seen and heard, but I just want us to reduce God's grace down to man-sized grace so that we can begin to understand. And I want you to, to hear what the brother of the victims uh, the, the victim's brother said, this guy's name is Brant Jean. His brother was Botham Jean. And here's what he said at his victim impact statement. If you could go ahead and play that. For myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what—that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you, and I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Brant John is uh, 18 years old and uh, just about to enter college. And I, the, the sort of grace that he's offering is, even that is right at the edges of my ability to comprehend. It's, it's right, you know, I can barely get there. And I'm, I'm, I'm blown away uh, by what he's done. But he, here's what grace is. It's, I mean, that's powerful to see that. That's powerful. And the claim we're making at Christmas is that God is doing that for every single one of us. That God is looking at us and saying, I wish the best for you. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. Despite the fact that we have gotten ourselves in the mess. We have made choices that were completely contrary to God. Despite the fact that he has warned us, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. It's absorbing injustice and pain and turning out love. Christmas is a rescue mission of grace. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 and then we're going to move into our time of communion. But Colossians chapter 1 13 says this, for he has rescued us. 
from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Christmas is ugly Christmas sweaters and lights and Christmas cookies and little babies and all that. But Christmas is more than that. Christmas is a rescue mission of grace. And so as we take communion today, I can't think of a more fitting way to celebrate Christmas than by remembering the grace that God has given us on the cross. This is God reaching down to us saying, can I give them a hug? Yes, yes. That's what we're remembering here is the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to have the, those who normally pass, they're going to go ahead, if you don't mind, go ahead and go to the back and pick up those trays. And uh, we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to take that. And we're going to take that in light of the fact that Jesus is this phase one, this nativity is this phase one of a rescue mission of grace. Uh, would you pray with me?